Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I just ran full out, ran and jumped on my dad, and he grabbed me and gave me a big hug, and he said, I'll clean your first deer for you, but you are on your own after this. You know, we've chased him down and shot him with a pistol. We've shot him with unsuppressed rifles and suppressed rifles, so you name it. You know, we've done that. What is the conservation of the land, and what's the conservation of the species of animal? Those are the two big factors, I think, when it comes to high fence versus low fence. So I want to go over and, yes, finish my Grand Slam at some point, and there's three that I have left for Spain. We're all on the same team. Like, why can't we support each other more so than just tearing each other down? This is Caitlin Lowe's and you are listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all. We are here at SHOT Show out in Vegas. This is my first shot. It is incredibly overwhelming, but it's a lot of fun, too. You are listening to another episode of the Wild Initiative podcast, and today I am here with the one and only Caitlin Lowe's. Caitlin, thanks so much for hopping on with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So here, finally, uh, we, were t- we were emailing back and forth for a little while. Yes. You uh, asked me if I was coming to SHOT Show, and I said no, and then plans <laughs> suddenly changed probably about 12 hours after I said I wasn't coming. 
but bombed on down and was happy to find that you were available to sit down and record with. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for coming up to see me. And I knew as soon as I saw you, I'm like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> so it was a pleasure to meet you. Absolutely. So just to start out, why don't you just give me a little introduction of yourself. Uh, how did you kind of get introduced to hunting and the outdoors and all of that? Sure. So I am originally from Texas, um, primarily grew up in a family that did a lot of sports. And my grandfather had purchased a ranch back in the 60s. So that's been in our family for quite some time now. And I just grew up going out there and, you know, shooting rifles and fishing and just not necessarily grasping like the whole realm of conservation and um, all the animals that are, you know, in Texas, but on top of that, all over the world. Like this is such a worldwide industry. It just blows my mind. And so the older I get, the more I realize that. But, you know, I did sports, volleyball, primarily going through high school, partway through college. And so I was busy with that a lot in the spring and fall in the hunting seasons. And so it'd be a weekend here and there when I could go. I shot my first deer when I was about 13 with my dad, which was like burned in my mind forever. It was like <laughs> one of the best days ever. And it just, I don't know, to have that ability to be able to go somewhere and share it with family is dwindling within the industry. Mm -hmm. Makes me kind of sad. So tell me, tell me about uh, your first year. I love, I love hearing people's first, uh, first animals because mine was so stinking recent. Mm -hmm. uh, my first year was, I think at this point, a year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, it would have been about a year and a half ago that I got my very first year. So I always love hearing, uh, hearing the story of a first animal. Okay. Well, gosh, it was Really early in the morning, we had gone out the night before, didn't see anything, and then I was sitting in the blind with my dad, and I saw this buck walk across, and he was probably 150 yards out, and I was 13-ish at the time, and uh, I'm like, Dad, do you see that? And he was like, yeah, shoot it. <laughs> so <laughs> I shot it, and I dropped it. Well, I didn't realize I had dropped it at first because it, it was so far out, and there was a bush that it kind of fell behind, mm -hmm. and I thought I missed. And of course, and he knew I didn't, you know, but first time you're shooting through an optic, you don't always track where you're shooting just because mm -hmm. the recoil and all that stuff. And he was like, well, let's get out and just go look. And, you know, I get halfway out there and I still don't see him. And I'm like all sad face. And then he's like, just keep walking a little farther. And I saw it. And I kid you not, I just ran full out, ran and jumped <laughs> on my dad. And he grabbed me and gave me a big hug. And he said, I'll clean your first deer for you, but you are on your own after this. So I think I almost lost it when I got used to the smell at first. It's a little bit different. Um, but to be honest, that's actually has become one of my favorite parts within the hunting industry because, you know, you're taking wild game that's, you know, our place is low fence. It's small, you know, a few hundred acres. Um, but you're really, it's so much more intimate and you learn an appreciation to see mm -hmm. what's inside of the deer, to see the different parts of it, and just being able to pay that respect and being able to be raised to have that opportunity is just so far and few between now. Well, you know, I say it, I say it all the time on this podcast, and there's something so, so special about knowing that you're the only one that's, that's touched that meat that you're, that you're eating, mm -hmm. that you know where it's come from start to finish. And uh, like you said, there's, there's such an intimacy with that um with that whole process and it's it's an amazing thing and it's become one of my favorite parts and you sit back and you know you're you're with your family whatever that is and uh you know this christmas uh you know i was sitting back with my family and we were having backstrap for uh for christmas day and everyone's just sitting back and smiling and laughing and enjoying it and mm -hmm. and you sit back and you realize that 
that you had you know, such a, uh, an incredible part in that. I think it's such an amazing thing. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's, you can't get much better than that. I'm a very <laughs> lucky girl. I can tell you that much, but so it's been in our family to be able to go out and hunt and do some things. My grandfather, you know, was always, you shoot one or two doe a year and that supplies them for the year. And you know, I don't think I've ever seen him miss, to be honest. And he's 94. And wow. he actually still gets out before us, makes us all coffee in the morning, hops on his little four-wheeler, and goes to his blind and says, we'll see you after the morning hunt, you know, <laughs> or after the evening hunt. And, I mean, so, I've, yeah, I just, we're super, super close. And so every time I go out there, which now I've started to um, hunt a lot of hogs, and we can get further into that. But, you know, he always calls me after I get back. Do you shoot anything? Do you get anything? So I, uh, the day that he goes, I'm going to be sad. So what what brings you then from a uh, 13-year-old girl, you know, hugging her dad, super excited over her first year, to right. uh, to now? What, yeah. uh, what are you doing nowadays? Oh, gosh. Well, kind of fast-forwarding. So my full-time job is actually a dental hygienist. So okay. I do that Monday to Thursday. And then I completely lucked out and getting to know James Sellers from Cellmark, who... Um, is actually located in Texas as well, but we have several different brands, which I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with. Um, Pulsar is one of the biggest ones. We actually are the American distributors for that brand, um, and it's made over, I want to say, in like Belarus. And then we've got um, offices in um, Bulgaria. Um, so Europe, it's a European product, but we have exclusive rights for North America, basically. Um, another brand that we actually do have is called Sightmark. So the warehouses and everything is down in Texas. Okay. Um, and then Kofiager is one that we just recently acquired. So I do a lot of just social media, fun marketing type stuff. Um, but he had seen a picture of me shooting my bow off of my horse standing on him. Mm-hmm. And this is just something that I'm like, you know, I've ridden my whole entire life. I've had horses, gosh, well, really, even before I was born, my parents had had a miniature horse that I grew up riding. <laughs> so from there, it kind of turned into, got my first big one when I was eight. And then my horse that I ride now, Kodak, um, he's seven. Um, so he got that picture. Long story short, they hired me, and I've been to SHOT Show. This is my fourth one, I want to wow. say. Um, and so I do a lot of hog hunting, um, a lot of a lot of whitetail, just because we've got easy access to that. Mm-hmm. But primarily hogs with the thermals. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was going to say, we were talking earlier, and I, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, I'd, I'd seen your profile a few times, and you'd, you'd pop on Instagram. You know how it kind of goes. You, right. you, you kind of see people a few times, and mm-hmm. um, I can't remember if it was, if it was Cellmark or, you know, one of the, one of the brands sharing, uh, sharing something of yours, or if I just saw it, but uh, there was the, the horseback uh, yes. hog hunting, and yes. I saw that. And I just, I'm like, I have to talk to her oh about that. Oh, my gosh. He, yeah, that's just, it was crazy how it all kind of worked out. I mean, all these pieces and parts just fit together so well. I mean, so you've, you've got to have a second nature of riding ability, which we talked a little bit about yeah. that yesterday or this morning about, you know, you can't really think while you're riding. You kind of have to be one. So that's the first factor. You know, can you shoot? From horseback, which is a whole nother, you know, thing. And then what is your horse like? I mean, my horse, he is like a dog. It's crazy. He gets a little bit more spooked on the ground if I'm shooting versus when I'm on him shooting. And it's almost like he knows my body language. He knows he has to take care of me. He knows what the purpose is. And I've gone out so many times hog hunting with him. I mean, he, he just latches onto him he you know Mm -hmm. we've chased him down and shot him with a pistol we've shot him with unsuppressed rifles and suppressed rifles so you name it you know we've done that with hogs well first and foremost your horse is one of the most beautiful horses i've ever seen he is just absolutely gorgeous um and you know we're again we were talking earlier and i i 
you know, didn't grow up with any of this. And I kind of went to this little ranch in sixth grade and learned to ride and mm-hmm. been in love with horses ever since. Um, but so how long have you, uh, have you have been riding that horse? Like what, because uh, I imagine there's, like you said, there's a certain level of trust. And it also just depends on the horse that right. has to be developed, though. Right. Um, I actually got him when he was about 14 months. And I just started getting on him bareback, you know, because that's, I guess, the closest detection and um, sensitivity that they have for your mm-hmm. body language and movement. And so from there, I would just shoot my bow off the ground, you know, in small caliber rifles and then just transitioned to in the saddle. And one of my um, good friends, Joe Nixon from Hawks Double Mountain Ranch, always said, you only need one shot. You know, you, that's really all you're going to get as far as opportunity on a horse. You know, luckily Kodak will give me usually more <laughs> than that. But so it just kind of was something that all fell together. He's seven now. And so I think I shot my first hog off of him at that ranch, actually, in West Texas. Um, it wasn't this past summer, but the summer before. And unfortunately, I didn't recover it. Oh. So there was just so much tall brush, and I was so bummed. But I knew at that moment I was, I mean, completely hooked with the horseback hunting mm-hmm. because my horse trusts me. He, I trust him. He loves to go on adventures. I mean, it just, it was just... I don't even know. There's so much emotion to it. I just love him so much. But from that, I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is going to be my signature. Mm-hmm. You know, on top of carrying a pistol in my boot when I ride, my horse is going to be my signature. And uh, so we've, at my grandfather's place, we're three for three. And then um, at Hawks, I actually ran one down with a pistol and then shot, you know, one or two that I just were unrecovered, mm-hmm. you know. So, which is okay. I mean, you're all got to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, but. Oh, trust me, I know, I know how that goes with hogs. Well, we, you know, we, I came up and said hi to Jess earlier today. Right. Uh, we were talking with uh, Jess Byers, and she's been a good friend for a long time. And uh, I went out and did a hog hunt with her and Braxton. Okay. And uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't taken any, any animal yet at the time. That was before I had even wow. gotten my first deer. And went out with them, and uh, uh, Jess had me in a blind. And I took a shot on a hog out there, and... I just hammered it. We were both convinced. We, we saw the thing walk off and kind of mm-hmm. through this opening in the brush, you see him and we thought he was just going to drop right there. Right. He kind of wavered and, and dropped. And uh, we waited a while, went and checked, saw maybe two drops of blood. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing we ever mm-hmm. saw that, that pig again. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that was tough because that was like my first animal and stuff. And right. we were convinced. And, but so I know, I definitely Absolutely. know how that goes with hogs. They're they're either leaving giant swashes of blood or they're leaving nothing at all, it seems like. Exactly, exactly. And you just never know. I mean, you can think it's going to be a perfect hit, but and it may be, but mm-hmm. they're just so tough. It's a, uh, they're crazy animals. And it's one of, it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's tough because they cause so much damage too. You they know, they they cause so much trouble. They're non-native, but they're a lot of fun to hunt. I'll tell you. They <laughs> are, they are. So tell me, uh, what got you started on hogs, really? Um, were they just kind of around? Was it just a... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, there's a lot in Texas, you know. So every time I'd go out hunting, I'd either see remnants of them coming through or I'd actually see them. So mm-hmm. just kind of getting used to it. But once I started working for Pulsar and Sightmark and, you know, James Sellers, then that's when it really started kicking off. You know, and you look at the way that your life goes. You know, you grow up, you're busy with sports, you're busy with all kinds of extracurricular activities. You graduate from college, you get a job, so you've got more time on the weekends. And so that's when it really started picking up, probably when I was in college. Um, And then just right after, because I had time to do it. 
and mm -hmm. so you start learning a lot more about that. And luckily for me, you know, being within this network, you meet a lot of other people that do the same thing. So there's a lot more opportunity to do a night or two nights here, somewhat local. I mean, it's not like you're having to spend a week to go do that. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of spiraled from there. And I've hunted a lot with Todd Huey from Lone Star Boars. He's like the thermal guru of the whole world. <laughs> and uh, he's taught me a lot uh, about night hunting because it's just something that's, you know, fairly recently come on the market the last, yeah. you know, five, ten yeah. years or whatnot. But um, it's just, yeah, it's just spreading like wildfire out there. And I think, you know, that's, it's funny. It's one of those things, you know, we talk about night hunting. And I think uh, it, when you talk to some people about hunting, like, I feel like everyone's got that one hunt on their bucket list. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's that like nighttime Texas hog hunt with the thermals or from the helicopter or what it is. I right. feel like that is like, everyone's got that somewhere on their bucket list. I yes. feel like there's something, there's just something awesome about it. Maybe you've seen it and watch Black Hawk down too many something times. Something like that, exactly <laughs> right. It's like, oh, we got to go do something like that. But, but. So what's, uh, I don't want to say what's the trick to uh, night hunting, but uh, what are some of the, I guess, unique challenges you you encounter? I mean, obviously, other than the fact that you, well, it's night and it's really dark. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, depending on if you go with an outfitter or if you're going on your own land, like, you really need to know where you're shooting or what you're shooting at, what's behind it, you know, how far the range is. So our place, being small, you know, I've grown up going there, so that's really not something that I worry about. You know, when I'm out in the field with other people, you know, you got to know where are they at at all times? Are they mm -hmm. right next to you? Have they moved? You know, are they in your line of shooting? And you just don't necessarily know that. And, you know, safety is a huge factor with that because people's emotions, you know, get really hyped. They get really excited. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I'd say land kind of know, know who you're hunting with, know if they've had experience with thermals before. Um, then you got things like the wind factor, you know, scanning. So sometimes we'll drive around, you know, 100,000 acres, and we're scanning these fields as we're driving in these cars that are completely blacked out. We've mm -hmm. sometimes got night vision goggles on, so you can still see where you're going, <laughs> um, but there's no light. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of neat. Uh, but, yeah, wind, um, you know, we don't really do a lot of feeders when we drive around like that just because we're covering such a mass area. Yeah. And typically, you know, when you look through the thermals, you'll get what's called a heat um, heat signature. So that's anything that's going to be generally what we say brighter. Like I, I hunt with a lot of hot white. So that means anything that's really, really warm, it's going to be very white. Anything okay. that's going to be colder is going to be darker. So that's kind of how I key into what I'm seeing. And depending on the range, so like the products that we use for Pulsar, like my favorite thing that I probably use is my Trail XP50 or the Thermion XP, yeah, XP50. Um, it will give you a distance. I guess like if you've got an animal that's, smaller mm -hmm. versus one that's really larger, depending on the distance of where they are, can kind of throw you off and yeah, how far range. you're shooting. Yeah. Right, exactly. So that's that's something you really got to pay attention to is that what does the shape of the animal look like? You know, boars tend to have more of like a mm -hmm. higher hump. Um, the deer will scatter some. Um, and just the movement is a big key factor for that. But once you go enough times, you kind of know, hey, this is a hog. This is a deer. This is a coyote. That's a cow, you know. So you could just get used to it. Um, and the, the technology is getting so nice out there. It's, it almost makes it too easy. <laughs> That's interesting. I never, I never really even considered that to where you're looking at an animal. And because you're probably... Uh, you don't have that necessary depth perception like right. you do when you're looking through an optic, uh, 
or when you're looking at something in the daytime. In the daytime, right? And so, yeah, you don't know. I mean, even even probably looking at hogs, it's it's a lot more difficult probably to tell if you're looking at a a big old hog that's a lot further away mm-hmm. or something smaller that's mm-hmm. a lot closer. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I never actually considered that point with like thermal uh, thermal right. optics. Right. It, yeah. It is. It is. And a couple of our models actually have laser rangefinders in them. Okay. So once you get you know used to that, then it just makes it a lot easier, and it's yeah. almost kind of like I don't know. Here's the answer. <laughs> Here's the yardage. You know where to shoot. A little bit too easy. Sometimes. <laughs> but but I, don't, I don't think you can ever get too easy with hog hunting. No. Oh, no, for sure. Because they're such an invasive species. I mean, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you can eradicate a bunch in an area, and they'll be back not too much longer from that. But one of the things that's really fun for me when I hunt with people is when you're scanning those fields and you see, you know, 50 to 75. I mean, you see huge sounders of hogs and your heart just gets going and you mm-hmm. just sneak. I think we've gotten within 30 yards of them sometimes because they have no idea where they are. Yeah. They're so busy eating and fighting and, and you know, you pay attention to the wind of where you're walking up and it's, it's a challenge. Oh yeah. It's a challenge. I remember, well, when I was hunt, out hunting with Jess and Braxton, Braxton and I were out one night and, uh, you know, I, we had snuck in on a few things and, and we're coming back and... We're coming back, and we were just kind of walking in the dark. There was just enough moon to where we could see, and we didn't have any any headlights on. Uh, and we're coming back, and and just all of a sudden, we just kind of feel this like, and and here just stampede, and a sound. I mean, it had to be a sounder of thirty or forty. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, within ten feet of us. Oh yeah, hauling and you'll and never know that they're there because they're oh, in the yeah. brush and they're bedded down. And they just decided they had no clue. They came running right at us, and then they got close enough to kind of see us moving because they're just, like I said, just enough uh, moonlight. Mm-hmm. And they, oh man, they just, they just turned. We were, we thought we were get, about to get charged. Like we didn't realize they were gonna, whether or not they were gonna oh, see yeah. us. Oh yeah, yeah. That fight or flight response kicks yeah. in pretty quick when you're oh, in those yeah. situations. <laughs> but so one of the one of the fantastic things I feel like about hog hunting is it's so accessible. You don't need a lot of fancy gear with it. It's not an expensive thing to do. I mean, California, Texas, just about anywhere you go, mm-hmm. if you want to hunt hog, it's not going to cost you right. much more than the license and a, and a few bucks, really. Right. I yeah, mean, I mean, comparative to, you know, let's say shooting any trophy animal that's, that's mm-hmm. a larger species, you know, that can add cost and travel and, you know, there's trophy points and all yeah. the different systems that they go by, but hog hunting is... So, say easily. somebody wanted to... Uh, one was wanting to get into hunting, and like, okay, you, you all are talking about hog hunting. This feels super accessible. You know, it sounds like something that's fun mm-hmm. that you're going to see a lot of action. How does? Uh, how would you recommend someone get started in that? Well, first, you kind of need to know where will you be hunting. Is that something you're going with an outfitter with? Are you? Do you have own access to your own land? What's your price point? How far are you going to be shooting? So. There's the night vision game, and then there's the thermal game. Thermal, we kind of talked about, goes off heat signatures. The night vision, you know, we've got an optic that's a digital night vision, and that the whole night vision thing has just grown over the last several years, different generation-wise and stuff. Um, but that tends to be a little bit lower in price. So if you're going to be shooting, you know, with within, I think one of our optics goes out to like 500 yards, which typically I don't shoot past like 250 or 300 at night at the most usually. Um, but you can get in a game for something easy about 1300 bucks mm-hmm. you know thermals are high-end thermal that we have is about $6,500 so um, a lot of times people will get a smaller handheld thermal to, to scan and see okay this is 
where mm -hmm. the hog is, let's locate it. And then they get within shooting range of 150 yards, and then they're shooting with the uh, night vision optics. Yeah. So just think of like a black and white photograph. You're almost getting a lot more of that detail uh, with that versus the thermal um, is just, it looks just a little bit different. Yeah. So that, you know, that's kind of a good entry level. Well, and say not even necessarily night hunting, but if just, if somebody, uh, wants to get their start in hunting what yes. maybe some tips uh some things they should consider mm -hmm. uh, like how would you if somebody came up to you and said hey you know i want to i want to hunt hogs what's what do i need what should i what should i do well definitely check your state regulations you know i'm much more familiar with texas than i am anything else but um, i do have a hunter's safety course and to be honest i don't remember if you have to have a license for hunting hogs or not or if you just have to have the hunter's safety that's definitely different in every state it i've is. noticed because some states yeah you have to have a you just have to have a license other states you don't even have to have a license you just need to get a tag right. and right so that's definitely, definitely follow a little that. different. Yeah, yeah, definitely follow that part. And obviously, you know, I hunt more more animals than just hogs. So I've got the hunter safety course, which um, helps. And then I just get a general license every year. The super combo is what we call it. So you can do, like, fishing, mule deer, whitetail, turkey, hogs. That kind of covers more of a broad spectrum. Um, and then look at, like, equipment. So I typically, I hunt, well, off my horse during the, you know, day with the 270. And I think the ammo that I've been using the most is a Remington Corlock because it just like mushrooms out and I've okay. had really really good success with that so I wouldn't go much less than you know something like that 308 works really well but you want something that's gonna get the job done in a sense because they are so tough so I would definitely look at a little bit higher caliber caliber rifle than, okay. than anything else um and then, gosh, what else have we talked about? Sometimes people will bait hogs, you know, with corn and feeders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, kind of look at the land. Are you by water? You know, there's a lot of hogs by, by water sources, too. So here's a question for you. You know, and it's, uh, Texas, I feel like, gets a really bad rap sometimes. You know, it's especially with the, the whole public land movement that's going on. Yes. You get a lot of people snide remarks, I'm sure, because I've, I've got enough friends in Texas to where <laughs> I, I see it all the time. Uh, where, oh, you know, all you do is a high fence hunt and blah, 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 bottle-fed bottle fed deer this, and, oh, you know, it's not really hunting if you put out a feeder, da, da, da. What, what would your, what's your uh, thoughts on that? What, what, how would you respond to the, that kind of an attitude? You know, I think you have to look at what is the conservation of the land and what's the conservation of the species of animal. Those are the two big factors, I think, when it comes to high fence versus low fence. And, you know, I'm not necessarily partial one way or the other. I grew up only low fence. So you kind of shot what was available, shot what was there, let stuff go that you think could make it another year. Um, high fence, like the Hawks Ranch that I hunt at, it's 25,000 acres. But when I'm out there, it's almost like it's still free range because it's so mm -hmm. large. So I just, I think there's... A respectful and disrespectful aspect to everything in life, and it's just going to be how or what are you going to do yourself to portray that in respect to the animal, in respect to the land, the people that you're hunting with. So it just kind of depends on what your, I guess, viewpoint is on that. You know, the, the genetic thing, you know, I think sometimes if you just keep breeding and breeding the same thing with the same thing, yes, obviously that can cause some issues and stuff, but... Um, just, I, don't I, know. I asked that question. I just, I just find it kind of funny because most of, most of these guys that say that have 
never even been on a high fence ranch and mm -hmm. pretty much the range of half of the animals they're shooting is probably less than the entirety of that ranch is together. And it, right. so I just, I always, I do like asking that question because everyone, you know, everyone responds in a different way, but it's just, it's a funny thing because people get so critical of things they don't understand and don't do. want to understand right. um, exactly. and misrepresent it left and right. So Absolutely. Well, you know, I've been in 50-yard places, you know, that's obviously not something that I'm com comfortable with, but you just got to find what levels work for you. Well, and that's the funny thing is I feel like so often when people talk about, say, like a high-fence ranch, mm -hmm. that's what they portray it as is like, okay, some dude from overseas wants to fly in, have somebody open a cage, let a deer run out, and they want to shoot it. Like, mm -hmm. that's not what a high fence ranch is. It's also not, you know, tame bottle-fed deer that, you know, people are, are shooing out. These are wild animals roaming around on thousands and thousands of, you know, mm -hmm. acreids. Mm -hmm. Or acreids. I can't even. <laughs> Acreage. Acreage. Thousands of acres. It was somewhere between acres and acreage. And I'm, Something. I'm, I think we're getting hungry. I think SHOT Show's kind of wearing us out. I, it's, it's only day two for me, and uh, I am, I'm already beat. So. That's funny. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, yeah. Yeah, you just got to look at what are you comfortable with. And, and you know in your gut what's right not, and what's not right. You know, and the thing that kind of frustrates me a little bit within the hunting industry is we're all on the same team. We all support Second Amendment, like, why can't we support each other more so than just tearing each other down? That, mm -hmm. And half the time, I just don't even pay attention to that because I just don't have the time to even worry about it. You know, I help people out when I can help people out, and I make sure the people that are genuine and uh, I want to be in my life are. So. Yeah. And we're not, talking about, we're not talking about people that are doing things unethically. We're not talking about people that are disrespecting wildlife. Mm -hmm. We're talking about someone that hunts in a different way than you do. That right you may not be interested in or whatever that happens to be. I mean, you know, you want to get people, you want to get people riled up, start, you know, asking what's more ethical between different calibers and. Right. Dear Lord. Yeah. You could get, definitely go down a rabbit hole with all that stuff. I feel like you could start a war just over, you know, <laughs> what size, what size bullet you should use for an elk or for, uh, right. for deer. So. Right. Exactly. Well, now that we've kind of gone down a rabbit hole. Jumping back to the horseback kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so we've talked about, you know, a lot of thermal hunts and stuff with hogs. That's one thing that I want to do with my horse. I was so close one night, almost shooting a hog with a thermal at night off of him, but <laughs> just didn't line up. Um, but I do have a lot of fun during the day, and I've used some of our optics. So, like, for instance, you know, I switch between a 270 and then an AR style. I use a 6.8 mm -hmm. from LWRC. Um, and then just some of our red dot optics from Sightmark. So that will allow me to use a magnifier with it, go back and forth from different ranges a little bit quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that AR because it's easy to manage. It's easy to hold. It's a Wait, good lightweight. You mean you actually hunt with an AR? Nobody hunts with an AR. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> does. Shame. I know, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that's, uh, that's actually one of my next... Uh, one of my next things is I've, I've got a few, uh, a few lowers that have been sitting around, and it's about time to build myself a hog rifle, I think. Perfect. And so uh, that's, that, I think, is going to be the next, uh, the next project. But 
So, it's January of 2020 right now. Yes. What, uh, what can we expect to see in this coming season? What are you excited oh, about? I am excited about more horseback hunting, to be honest <laughs> with you, to get real. So, that's just something that I've had a huge passion for, and I have so much faith in my horse to take me to the next level. Um, you know, shooting hogs is one thing, but when you go to shoot a larger animal, you know, like an oryx or a stag or something that has a different mindset than a hog, it becomes trickier. Um, the last time I went out to our place, I wanted to try to shoot a whitetail. I mean, and they're so much more spooky. Mm-hmm. You know, they sense you a lot quicker. Hogs, you know, they kind of think, well, it's got four legs. I, I'm not sure if I should be scared of it or if I should just, you know, stay here. But the deer, I mean, it's it's a totally different ball game. They know, they know you, you know. And, and our place, again, is just smaller. So they get a little bit more exposure, um, just jump in the fences and stuff like that but so yeah so I want to try to do a bigger exotic hunt off my horse do a lot more hog hunting type stuff um, probably just kind of do your general whitetail stuff um, and another thing that we haven't really talked about lately uh, is overseas type trips so mm-hmm. I'm sure you see I post a lot of stuff about four aces outfitters so I'm actually partnered with them um, and I can sell hunts to Spain and South Africa I haven't been to Africa yet um, but Spain so I went a few years ago I guess a couple of years ago um, and shot a, an Ibex so I want to go over oh, and yes finish my Grand Slam at some point um, and there's three that I have left for Spain so hopefully within the next year or two you'll start seeing me do a little bit more international stuff as well there's the international hunting, it's one of those things to where I've always thought it would be fun, but it's not something I want to, I've wanted to pursue much, mm-hmm. but Ibex in Spain has, there's a few things. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, Ibex in Spain is one, um, a Cape Buffalo is, oh. like, I mean, yes. if somebody, like, handed me a an African hunt on a platter and said, here you go, just buy a plane ticket, and we got you covered, yes, of right. course I would take that. Right. But, like, I'm not... I'm not necessarily the guy that's dying to search that out. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. the North American animals are what fascinate me. Just like the bear and moose and caribou and all of that. Mm-hmm. That's where my passion is. That's awesome. But something about hunting a Cape buffalo is just the best. Like, I mean. The adrenaline that comes with it. I mean, you hear everybody's stories that oh, have yeah. hunted them. It's like the baddest animal on earth right there. And I think it's just it's just one of those opportunities. It's. You know, me as a guy, like, it's like... Yeah, I can do this, right? But, uh... (laughs) That's funny. But, yeah, that and, um... And then New Zealand. I want to hunt tar in New Zealand. So those are are my three. Everything else is kind of... You know, okay, if it was presented to me, if the opportunity came up, of course I would take it. Right, right. But I'm not the guy. I have buddies who are a little less delicate about it. (laughs) I believe uh, one of my friends uh, can be quoted as saying... I don't care that much about uh, North American animals, but damn, if, if I get a chance to shoot a giraffe in the face, oh, man, I want to take it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you're a really delicate way to put it there. I get what you're saying, but uh, not, the, not the most. Uh... <laughs> I, I completely understand what you're talking about. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. Well, one thing I think that you will really come to enjoy if you ever do get to go to a different country mm-hmm. is the views, the countryside, the people, the culture, you know, and for Spain, for example, you know, I was hunting in the mountains and then after I got done, I toured around Madrid and Barcelona and saw all the historical stuff and how old these other places really are compared to the United States. It just blows my mind. And I don't know, just to be out in the middle of 
nowhere and see these fields of these white rocks that have lined where the crops have grown and these old churches that are from like the 1200s, you just can't put a price on that. You know, no picture yeah. I think will ever give you the same or the equal, I guess, visual as actually going there and seeing it yourself, mm -hmm. which is just crazy. And I think, you know, as much as we talked about loving to be outside in the outdoors and just like taking it all in, you would absolutely love that kind of stuff. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So uh, are we going to, are you thinking you're going to head back to Spain this year or are you Probably next year. Next Probably year? next year. Yeah. I want to, I want to focus on hunting off Kodak. Um, and, but potentially next year, I'll probably try to go to Spain or South Africa. One okay. of the two. I keep, I'm like, well, I've been to Spain. I want to go back and get the other three Ibex, but I also want to experience something new and go yeah. to Africa. So it, it'll be a toss up probably 2021. See where I go. Well, you know, we were talking about conservation and you mentioned South Africa and South Africa and North America are such a story of conservation. You know, mm -hmm. we were talking, especially earlier, how passionate you are about conservation. And you can see, you know, the only two places in the world where wildlife has, you, we've seen a resurgence of it. Mm -hmm. And we've seen uh, growth in the wildlife populations are North America and South Africa. Mm -hmm. And why is that? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because it's the only two places in the world that introduce hunters and have hunting as part of their conservation model. Right, right. And it's such an amazing thing. I don't know what it, do you know much about as far as Spain's conservation model? I mean, I think it's somewhat similar to kind of what we do. Um, you know, there's certain, I guess, per providence, they try to keep track on what's the population of the animal that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And I was actually talking with Jose, um, the guy that lives in Spain that I'm partnered with, and he said that the conservation from what it used to be and now, he said there's Ibex all over the place. I mean, we saw tons and tons and tons mm -hmm. when I was there. And here I'm in the U.S. thinking that's like a mystical creature, <laughs> you know, but it's, they've done so well with it because yeah. it's so regulated over there that I think it's just starting to become much more of a universal you know, we're starting to see these animals are being saved because of what our efforts are doing. The land is being much more taken care of because of mm -hmm. what we're doing. Well, you know, you suddenly, you provide value to those local landowners. Yes. Be, uh, suddenly those animals aren't a nuisance. They have value. And so it provides incentive for those landowners to keep that habitat uh, appropriate for, for, those, uh, for that wildlife. Keep mm -hmm. it wild rather than developing it or turning it into farmland, whatever that happens to be, it's sudden, suddenly those animals have, uh, have, are providing value rather than just being a nuisance. Right. And so it's, right. it's, it, it's amazing that, that people can't see that value mm -hmm. um, in more places. But mm -hmm. so say you run into someone, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're in a cab and your cab driver is asking you, oh, where are you at? And you're like, oh, I'm going to SHOT Show. And so you guys start talking about hunting, and he's like, well, you know, I've always been interested in hunting. I've always wanted to do it, but I don't know. I don't have any friends and family that do it. There's so much to learn. It seems really super expensive. I don't know. It's too intimidating for me. I don't think I can do it. Mm -hmm. What what advice or words of wisdom, you know, or encouragement would you give, yeah. give your cab driver on oh that gosh. ride to SHOT Show? <laughs> to be honest, just to get out there. I mean, everybody starts somewhere, you know, for instance, like I just started social media when I started working for this company, you know, I never had hardly any followers and luckily I've had a decent, you know, growing with that, but like everything starts somewhere. Just get out there, check your local, 
you know, organizations around where you are. So for example, I am part of Stewards of the Wild, which is a young professionals organization um, in Texas that helps support the mission of the Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Department, Foundation, et cetera. But what it really does is it helps get people joined up with other people who may have access to the outdoors. Um, it, I mentored a hunt, gosh, back down by kind of Port O'Connor um, not too long ago. And the group, all the people had never been hunting before in their lives. And they were all adults, you know, 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. and we went through the process of firearms and shooting and what it's going to be like to take your first animal. How do you process that? So it was a whole roundabout way, and I've been very lucky to be a part of that for the last several years, and I'm very passionate about that. Um, but organizations like that, there's always going to be people who want to share that with you. Mm-hmm. So definitely try to seek those out wherever you are, and I think different states have different different things like that. I was going to say, every state has countless organizations, whether they're conservation-related, whether they're professional-related, whether it's uh, uh, your local parks and wildlife has so many programs. There's so many options, Mm -hmm. I feel like, for people. And and they're not always super obvious, but, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can find a local gun club or hunting or even even like a local turner's outdoorsman or something or like a bass pro there's always flyers and cards and and events that you can start reaching out attend absolutely well and don't be afraid to go by yourself Mm -hmm. you know i go to so many things by myself just because you know my boyfriend's doesn't live super close to where i am or you know my parents are working or my brother's busy and you know so just go even if you're by yourself just go you make one contact and one place that you go, that could lead you to five or 10 or 15 other things. So never be afraid to go by yourself. And if somebody says they think they know more than you, they may not. You know, it just, you got to have the self-confidence to just push forward. And, you know, I look at where I had been and where I am now, just because I've gone to so many things by myself. I've got friends all over the world and I love it. And, you know, we all have the same mindset on, we love hunting, we love you know, guns. We want to be respectful within the industry, be good representatives. So you will find those people and those people will find you. I mean, if it's meant to be, it it will work out. So just keep the confidence up. Don't be afraid to do things by yourself. (laughs) All right. So if folks want to follow along, uh, find you and Kodak uh, on the internet, where can they hunt you down? Yes. Well, I'm only on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook, Um, but just my name, Caitlin Lowe's, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-L-O-W-E-S. And then my um, horse actually has an Instagram now, too. <laughs> Kodak the Appaloosa. So I try to post some stuff for him on there as well. Fantastic. Well, I'll, we'll make sure to link to those on the show notes page. Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the time. I know we got a busy show here, lots of people to talk to. So I appreciate yes. you taking the time to sit down and well, talk with thank me. Thank you for stopping by. And it's an absolute pleasure to meet you. And I look forward to keeping up with you in the future. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure you check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Go give Caitlin and Kodak a quick follow. Until next time, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more.